Okay, very excited to be uh, back here with uh, former governor, former U.S. Senator Frank Murkowski. How you doing? Very well, Jeff. Thanks for the invitation. I look forward to a conversation. You're like the holy grail of podcasts here. So yeah, well, whatever is fair. Doing with you for a while. I've called all kinds of things. They, they called you Frank the Bank, right? Frank the Bank. That was uh, the name. Merck, uh, hey you. And I respond probably to the latter. So you were a governor, you were a senator. Let's talk a little bit. So I was senator first. You were senator no, first. No, I, right? was, I was in the cabinet of Governor Hickel. I was his youngest commissioner of economic development. Really? Really. What year was it? So that was the Oh, first. gee, about 62, something like that. 66. Huh? 66. 66, that's right. Huh. 66. Jim Clark's here, too. He's yeah, your former Jim chief Clark, of staff. Jim Clark, my chief of staff, keeping me on, keeping me on the figures. Yeah. And uh, then I served Governor Hickel for uh, two years, and then he ran back to Washington as Secretary of the Interior. And uh, 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 our next governor was Keith Miller. And I served him a year, and then uh, decided that uh, I made what contribution I could, and I had six children, and so it was time to move on. So we did move on and uh, went back into banking and uh, was in Fairbanks for a number of years. And then uh, decided, got a little restless and decided to run for the United States Senate. But I had been in politics previously because I was a banker in Wrangell and I ran for uh, school board and was elected. So I went from school board school to senate. Board to you know, senator. So, so how did you get the job? Did you know Governor Hickel or was there? Did I know him? The, yeah, the, the economic uh, commissioner. Oh, yeah. Job. Well, he, he uh, was a very interesting governor because he had a knack for. Um, you know, let's get this state moving again, and we, let's get this happening. Let's get resource development going. Once in a while, he'd get into trouble, and uh, that's you know I was everybody reading does a book that. About I've, I've had a little trouble myself as governor, but he'd move on to the next issue that was controversial and it'd take the heat off the last issue, and the media and the, never could quite catch up with him. I was reading a book about Nixon when he was uh, his yeah, well, he, he got in trouble with he Nixon. He did too, serve Nixon, he? and he said, "I'd rather have an arrow in my." heart than an arrow in my back or I don't know it was a quote mm -hmm. that got a little publicity so one of the stories I wanted to ask you about I heard when you were senator did you when you met Saddam Hussein or were you went to Iraq or <laughs> I was in Iraq yeah I was I was uh went over with uh a couple of other governors at the invitation of the Def Department of Defense and we had uh, you know troops from Alaska over there and uh uh, in the um, exchange uh, uh, that occurred at that time, uh, he, Saddam Hussein was hell-bent on trying to control the wealth of uh, the Mideast and take over the oil. And as a consequence, uh, that uh, particular occasion uh, was one where you know, as a group, we got a feel for uh, the, the overall deterioration of, uh, the, of the country and the people and the wait, way they wait. live. But I had been over uh, also with a group of senators. And uh, uh, oh, Howard Metzenbaum was there, uh, Al Simpson from Wyoming. 
And that was the occasion where we actually had, were to have a meeting uh, in, uh, at the airport in, 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 in Baghdad? Baghdad at the airport. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't remember. Wait, wait, what year was it? Was you were a senator? Yeah, that was when I was a senator. Uh, and uh, we ram- rambled a little bit because my mem- my memory is pulling out of the particular instance where we had a, 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 a an ambassador uh, in Iraq, uh, and she had gotten uh, kind of taken a position supportive of some of uh, of the allegations of Saddam Hussein's activities, and she was in a little diplomatic hot water, and her name was April Gillespie. And as a consequence, she, we had been at a meeting uh, in Egypt with Mubarak. Oh, wow. And uh, gone, and, and the conversation went something like this. Where are you guys going? Well, we'd been in Jordan, and we, we, we were going to go back, and uh, uh, we, he said, you, are, are you going to Iraq? And we said, no, we're not going to Iraq. Well, you ought to go to Iraq. Why should we go to Iraq? Well, because Saddam Hussein was a for, going to be a force to be reckoned. Okay. So uh, we thought, well, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll phone him. So in our presence, they phoned and set up a meeting. He said, you know, these guys are from the United States Senate, and you ought to meet with them. And he said, okay. meet in Baghdad tomorrow. Well, we had to get back in our airplane, fly to Jordan, get up the next morning at 4 o'clock, get back on the airplane, and you had to fly a circuit. This was in like the 80s or 90s? No, this was, I don't know, 84, 85. Back when he was still kind of our buddy. And so the meeting was to be held. We got to the airport, and and, uh, the ambassadors came out, April Gillespie and said, gentlemen, I'm terribly sorry, but uh, Sodom is not here this morning to have breakfast with you. He said, we traveled, I don't know, 1,200 miles to have breakfast with Sodom Hussein. And he said, no, he wants you to meet him in Mosul. So uh, we said, well, you know, that's kind of inconvenient. We were kind of put out, and uh, uh, his minister, uh, Terry Kazis, uh, appeared on the scene and said, I'm here to escort you up to uh, uh, Mosul. And we said, well, escort, what do you mean? He said, well, Sodom sent his airplane down. We said, we've got an airplane, uh, and we'll fly up in our airplane. He said, no, no, the air, air, your airplane's too big. Sodom wants you to go in his airplane. And they, then uh, Terry said, and of course, I'm going with you. And we were leery of getting in Saddam Hussein's airplane, even with his foreign minister. But reluctantly, we decided, well, you know, we got a day. So he flew up. We were supposed to have lunch. Oh, breakfast? Well, we it, was like lunch. A, it was like a jet, private so jet? Or? We had an old Pan Am jet that uh, was a four-engine 707 that uh, Pan Am, it was said United, United States government on the outside, but the old inside was old Pan Am Signs. What, what, what was his? What was his plane? Just a smaller. Huh? Saddam's plane, a smaller, like a jet, a small jet. A seven oh seven is a big jet. No, his plane. The the. Oh, it was a seven twenty seven. It was okay. green, painted okay. green, and we got in. They had a round table, and uh, we were conversed on all kind. He 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 wanted to brief us brief, briefly under his terms. Anyway, 
we landed in, in Mosul and uh, we were getting ready to go and, and we were looking around and we said, we have to go at such and such time. And they said, well, your airplane can come and pick you up. And I thought, well, now why? Well, the airport was under under construction, but we knew we'd been set up. But anyways, went to the hotel in an escort, and we're overlooking the, the Euphrates or Tigris River. I can't remember. Maybe it was both. And waiting for Saddam Hussein. And he didn't appear and didn't appear. And then finally, he appeared. And we went in, and he had a brown silk suit on, and he... Uh, he looked like a force to deal with, his presence. He was kind of domineering, sneering, uh, and um, he didn't feel comfortable around him. And he had people with Uzis, and we sat down at a table and began a discussion. And at that time, there were uh, some uh, unusual uh, uh, Customs in London had received some uh, parts that looked like uh, huge cannon barrels, cannon barrels or machined and triggered and so forth. And uh, we had been alerted to this and said, Saddam Hussein, what's this? And he said, oh, those are parts for our, uh, uh, our refineries. And he slapped down a bunch of papers on the table and said, uh, in effect, uh, 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 here's uh, they, these come from the uh, Iraqi uh, ministry uh, and their parts to are so don't pay any attention to that. He said that's all rumors. So like and we went cannons? on and Saddam Hussein was a belligerent type, uh, and and uh, we one of the senators, uh, Jewish persuasion. Uh, wanted to talk about the Kurds and the persecution of the Kurds. And Sodom got very indignant, very indignant. And he jumped up and he said, you will all go out in the balcony. He said, there, come on, I'll show you. And we went out and he said, no, we'll have five helicopters there. You each take a helicopter and you go anywhere in Iraq and ask the people what they think of Saddam Hussein. And my friend uh, Howard Metzenbaum, who's senator from Ohio, said, uh, I'm not going to be a one-way trip for me. And huh. that was, the conversation broke down. Sodom became indignant, walked out of the room. We never got lunch. No lunch. After all that trip, no so lunch. So we went all the way back and got in our airplane. It was there and flew back to Jordan. And that was uh, Saddam Hussein. But I remember shake, I shook hands with him. I got a picture uh, somewhere in my junk pile. So another story. Shaking hands with Saddam Hussein. But the word I would say is ruthless. That's the impression he left us with. Ruthless guy. Wow. So that's crazy. You didn't have lunch after all that travel. Yeah. Um, so another story. I, your daughter, we did a podcast in Armakowski, and we were talking about um, when the Pope came and yeah. President Reagan. And uh, she was telling me about, did he stay at your place in Fairbanks? or? Yeah. We had built, our son had built a home next to our home. We had about seven acres up there on the river. And uh, the idea was the Pope had visited Anchorage on a previous occasion going from Rome to, uh, uh, I don't know, Asia somewhere. I can't remember. But he planned another trip. And this was at a time when in Poland, Lech Walesa was uh, 
running kind of a, 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 a um, episodes against the Russian occupation. Uh, and as a consequence, there was a communication between uh, our, our intelligence and assistance to Lekwalels' efforts and the underground to kind of uh, move, move, the, move the Russian influence and cause, uh, you know, a, a breakdown. And so the Pope was going from the Vatican and he was going to uh, Korea. And the president had been in China. President, and, president Reagan. Yeah, and uh, and it was very very interesting because the dynamic of what occurred after was between who's going to win the Vatican or the White House, and the issue was the Pope uh, had to be in Rome for Saint Joseph the Worker Feast Day, and the president had to get out of China before the first day of May because that was the day of the of the. Communist Revolution celebration, and so uh, they agreed that they would meet in Fairbanks. And how we got him to Fairbanks is another story. But huh. we we got him to come to Fairbanks because he'd already been to Anchorage, and they, they had all the facilities and so forth. So the the idea was okay, uh, but the, uh, the president is going to have to leave early and wait for the Pope because you got the international date line, okay? Mm -hmm. And that's what they didn't figure on. How, and the White House said, no, no, you don't understand. It's the customary the president can't, uh, you know, can't lay over for, for day waiting for the Pope. The Pope has to leave early. And the Pope said, no, you don't understand. We've been at this a lot longer than the White House has, and the Pope's got to be there for St. Joseph the Worker Feast Day, and the president will just have to come early to get out by the, before the first and wait in Fairbanks. So our son had just built a home, uh, and, and it was part of a conceived development that we never got off the ground, but was next to our, our house on the river. And so the White House said, well, yeah, but Pope can't stay in somebody else's house. We said, this house has never been lived in. Oh, well, that's different. So. They came, but there wasn't any furniture in the house. So my wife went out and they go into a furniture store in New Orleans, and they brought in all kinds of furniture. And there was no pictures on the wall, so her friends brought beautiful art, Sidney Lawrence, and they had the house decorated in a couple of days. And then there was a house next door to that house, and the woman, a very close friend, uh, Nancy, noticed that something was going on. She was redecorating her house because the Secret Service had to stay somewhere, and they said they wanted to stay in her house. Well, they never stayed, but she got it decorated, so she was happy anyway. Uh, but we had to leave our home, which was on the river, and we had the, the guy with the black box and uh, the doctor, physician, was the president. And uh, I remember the, uh, they blocked off China Pump Road, and uh, they brought a limousine in from Guam, a Cadillac limousine, really heavy, heavy doors, and they were concerned about the garage concrete holding up under the weight of the car, 
and uh, uh, anyway, it held up. This, this is Pope John Paul, right? Oh yeah, okay. Pope John Paul, and uh, but it was the president that stayed at our other home that they re- that they decorated and opened up the White House, and that was next to our house. Anyway, about midday, the the because the president had to stay overnight. That water wagon came over, and they said. What do you mean? It was secret service waterway. We got water. We turn the water. And he said, "No, you don't understand. There never been a well drilled in this house, and there's a big tank in the garage. And if you if you got about ten minutes left of water, uh, so you better let the wagon in. But it showed a breakdown. Because geez, the water, you know, is con- could it be contaminated? Everybody gets anyway. That worked out fine. But the interesting story came in the night about four o'clock in the morning. We had gone down to the hotel to, to, to leave our other house for the doctor and so forth. And the, the, uh, one of the president's aides phoned up and said, the president would like to talk to you. Well, they didn't have a, a welcome for him to come into Fairbanks. It was just too early in the morning. They wanted to get him out of there. And Schultz was there. And there were three. Uh, that was a secretary first, of. F- th- yeah, Schultz he was, was secretary of state. And. Uh, and there was a Secretary of Interior. Uh, what was his name? Anyway. And so I answered the phone. They said, the president would like to talk to you. And I said, oh. And we said, oh, well, welcome to Fairbanks, Mr. President. And he said, yeah, welcome. Everything's fine. I'm in the house. He said, I said, well, where are you? It's early in the morning. He said, well, I'm I'm under the, under the steps uh, because I don't have any hot water. And I said, you got to be kidding, the hot water. <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm reading the instructions. I said, Mr. President, this isn't the White House. If you let it run for three or four minutes, you'll have all the hot water in the world. And he said, you're right, I'll see you in the morning. So uh, anyway, it was kind of a human interest story. And she required uh, Mrs. Reagan uh, th- three sheets on the bed, which meant they had to go out and buy an odd sheet because you had the sheets between the bottom, the mattress, and the and the cover. But she wanted a sheet on top of the bedspread. So it just shows just different people have Somebody different Somebody said, go, go, go to the store and buy some buy an extra sheet. Yeah. And anyway, the next morning, uh, they we went up to the university, and he spoke. And it was a gracious time. But then the, the Pope and the president went off with a couple of people from CIA and they had a meeting in private and it was primarily to continue to support the efforts through the Catholic Church of funding uh, the uh, uh effort to undermine the, uh, the Soviet so this, occupation this meeting of was in, Poland. In, in Fairbanks. Yeah, and the they've, they've never released the total uh, but they they put that stuff away for 20 years or something because I I've got several articles on it and uh, the the press in, in Fairbanks did a pretty good job of it. But anyway, interesting and uh, how he we got him there was a concentrated effort of the community and the community was very supportive of uh, the visit and uh, you know um, could only happen in Alaska. So you're you're in the Senate for 20. 20- 20 years, right? I beg your pardon? The U.S. Senate, was it 20, 20 years? 22 years 20, in the United States so, Senate, four years as governor. So Go- Governor Knowles was termed out. You decide at some point I want to run for governor. Was, were you? 
Well, I got to, beat by Sarah Palin. No, I'm talking when you first time in two thousand when you when you were elected. Yeah. Why did Why did you decide to run for governor? You just I wanted to come come back to the state and uh, develop the resources of Alaska. That's my interest. That's what I do now, but I do it for myself. In a sense, I'm not employed by anybody. I underwrite my own expenses, and I continue to do it, and I'm pursuing oil, gas, timber, fish, minerals, and tourism. That's all we have, and we've got to develop them in a responsible manner. The timber industry is a terrible disappointment because we got this resource that used to have 5,000 jobs and uh, two pulp mills and nine sawmills, and it's a renewable resource. But the national environmental movement is adamant in making sure that Tongass is closed. They've been successful in maintaining a roadless, no roads in the Tongass. Uh-huh. It's been 20 years now, and for the citizens of Alaska to be to be denied, if you will, access, and this is what the ferry service concept was designed to evolve, to little roads across corridors of Forest Service land so you could get a day ferry to the next landfall and drive basically through southeastern Alaska. And, uh, you know, I'm still working on that, but uh, we have a secretary of agriculture who is somewhat sympathetic to our cause, but can't quite uh, come around to the point of recognizing why we're different, because we just have Forest Service timber. We don't have any state timber to amount to anything. We don't have any private timber, unlike Idaho, that has all three. And so that what we find is we're continually litigated huh. against development of a road system in southeastern Alaska. And it, we're being denied as citizens of the right to access by extraordinary environmental groups that are simply opposed. They're not Alaskans, but they're opposed to the development of a renewable resource. If you manage it correctly, and let me tell you one more thing. It was created by the federal government. Frank Heinzelman was a forester here. He was later territorial governor. He said, what can we do to create an industry in the Tongass? He said, because we have an inferior species. We've got uh, western hemlock primarily and cedar, and we can't compete with fur out of Northern California and Oregon. But he said, what we've got to find is a way to, to, to utilize the renewable resource of the forest by figuring out what to do with the utility timber. That's the stuff that's dead or dying, because or, our, our forest is not an even forest of growth. It's uneven because it's always been virgin. Pulp mills, get a pulp mill in, you've got to have a long-term contract long enough to amortize the investment of a pulp mill. So they built one in Sitka, built one in Ketchikan. Then they had nine sawmills because the pulp mills didn't take the prime timber or the cedar uh, or the spruce uh, they manufactured. And then we had one more thing. We had a no-export policy. You couldn't export the round log. And that was an industry that we built up. We had about 5,000 jobs, as I said, nine sawmills, two pulp mills. And under Clinton's administration, they canceled the contracts in what, 2001? 2003, 2005. 2003, 2005. Canceled it, and that was the end. They shut them down. And not only shut them down, they're scrapped today. Go to Sitka, go to Ketchikan. Yeah, they're, they're gone. gone. They're, they're gone. gone. But the timber's still here. And 
the in national environmental groups, you know, they Forest Service calls for input on hearings, and so they come in with hundreds and thousands of protests against allowing roading in the Tongass. And it, it makes no sense. This timber is renewable. And the rest of I was driving up the other day in Oregon. There's famous logging trucks, first logging trucks I've seen in 20 years. They're running up and down the highways. There's small sawmills. There's employment. There's a quality of life. And uh, it's and, and it's, has a value and a contribution to make. And if we don't develop resources responsibly in this state, we can't afford statehood. So some, something else you were pushing when you were governor, and it's still being talked about every day, is the gas line. What, what about this gas line? What do you think? What I think about the gas line is we uh, have spent a lot of money promoting it. The former governor felt that there was a potential in China, and there's certainly a market in China. But in order for us to market our gas, it has to be economically viable in the sense of, okay, we got gas in the North Slope, but what does it cost to move the gas down to Tidewater where you can sell it in the international market? And there's a pipeline cost estimated between 46 and $62 billion. Oh, okay. Yeah. And there's a lot of gas in the world. The price of gas is less than $3 today, and we need 4 to $6 or more for our gas line to amortize. That's why it's not built. And the Chinese are pretty sharp business people, and uh, they're not coming into this deal uh, until they exhaust other sources that are cheaper to develop. And one of the big things that nobody's talking about is the deal that the Russians made with the French to develop Russian Arctic gas that doesn't have yeah, was, to amortize I was, I was a pipeline. That. And it's real. And they're going into the Asian market, which was the market for our gas. So, you know, if you got to be realistic on resource development. If you don't have the... The, the the market and you can't be competitive in the market it isn't going to be developed that's all there is to it so you you were in the u.s senate i believe when didn't Clint, clinton veto or stop anwar oh well yeah but uh we've got it passed in 95 i think and uh then uh, uh president vetoed it and uh you know uh uh, what we are now today, we're exporting uh, crude oil into the markets of the world. At that time, we were trying to develop, if you will, uh, ANWR, and it's still underway, and they're pursuing it now, but there was a, a vote in the House the other day uh, to try and close it. Uh, and uh, the delegation's been successful in keeping the issue uh, alive and uh, there's uh, there I think the governor and the state have been aggressive in supporting the opening of Anwar uh, and it will hopefully happen but we ha have some crazy uh, ideas here that uh, uh, you know oil is uh, somehow going to be replaced around the corner and you know, I don't know how you're going to fly out of different places but you know, we, we can do a better job of looking for alternative energy sources. But, you know, I spent a little time traveling and 
you know, California's out of water. Well, what you got an ocean out there, uh, and you you can desalinate, and the mm-hmm. technology's there, but you have to have energy to do it. And the cheapest and the cleanest energy is nuclear, but they don't want that either. There was just but a, they don't want pr- gas, they don't want oil, they don't want coal, but they want water. There was a presentation on the one of the Senate committees a few weeks ago. It was on these um, nuclear micro reactors. Yeah, these small ones, and there's starting to get them, trying to get built, but they're um, yeah super clean and they're they're smaller and they can yep. ten years and they could be great in the villages. That's what they were talking about. Yeah, rural, yep. the cost of diesel versus nuclear. If they were to make these things, you know, well, we need something uh, that's a model size that you can actually see and go kick. You know, we talk a lot mm-hmm. about the theory of them, but uh, so yeah. when you were when you were governor, it was also uh, an issue with the price of oil was low, and there was some financial fiscal challenges like there is now. Um, what are your thoughts about what Governor Dunleavy's kind of proposed? His budget had some big cuts and some transfers of, you know, property well, attempts governor, to transfer property tax revenues from municipalities. Yeah, the governor, you know, has come in at a, a tough time because there's a couple of circumstances that he got hit with. And one is Prudhoe Bay is in decline in production. No, it's picking up a little with ConocoPhillips and 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 uh, Arctic National Reserve potentially, but we don't we're not producing the volume we did, and the price is not what it was, and uh, you know it's forty fifty dollars or thereabouts. So as a consequence, uh, it doesn't have the cash flow we had. So he's addressing the problem uh, and. Uh, the legislature has a responsibility of coming up with solutions, and the solutions aren't easy. Uh, but what I would hope Alaskans would rise to the occasion that a lot of uh, proposals are regional, and the regions have the obligation of helping come up with a solution they can live with, and then we'll see uh, what the affordability is. But. Uh, it's a uh, it's a tough. Uh, t- I don't so when you, when you like were, to row uphill. When you were governor, the price was low, but the production was a lot higher, wasn't it? It was double. Well, it was almost. a lot higher, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, we we were we you know that was two thousand four to two thousand two to two thousand six, and we had uh, uh, smaller government. Yeah, the budget was lower, right? Yeah. So uh, what else did I want to ask you? So um, do you? Get along. Do you talk to Sarah Palin much? Do you run into her? Do you guys? No, you don't, don't, no, not. She, we're not uh, fans exactly. But, <laughs> you know, she she won the election and I didn't, and you know, move on from there. Uh, but uh, uh, I continue to believe the future of Alaska is something that, and the quality of our life and our educational these are challenges that government has a legitimate uh, obligation to meet. But the the Residents of Alaska have to come together on regional solutions to regional problems because people in Anchorage and Fairbanks, uh, they don't fly through Juneau unless they're coming down to the legislature. They fly south nonstop. Same is true with uh, people in Fairbanks. They don't go to Ketchikan. So, you know, we we have different lifestyles, different obligations, different problems. And the ferry system is... uh, a case in point that uh, you know uh, it, it, it's an Alaska problem, but it mandates a southeastern solution, mm-hmm. and the southeastern's got to come together and figure out 
how, how to how to make it work. And the legislature, of course, has to continue to recognize that it's uh, it's a, an, an, an obligation. A lot of jobs depend on it. And a lot of conveniences depend on it. And southeastern Alaska will be will have a hard time coming back if it's shut down. Well, I think Senator Stedman's working. Working pretty hard on that one. He wants He's that doing a good there. job, and I have—I happen to have had the pleasure of appointing him to his. Oh, first that's that's right. Office. Yeah, yeah. I, re- I was remember that. So, how many people are in the legislature? There's quite a few that are. St- no, not quite. There's a couple that were there when in the legislature when you were governor. Probably Senator Hoffman, oh, Stedman. Yeah. Senator Hoffman is. Uh, Senator Olson, maybe was he? Yeah, uh, uh, the fellow from Fairbanks, uh, Coghill. Right, cocky was yeah. in the house, right? Yeah. So, yeah, there's a few of them still there. So, do you, do you, are you? Uh, we're we're across from the Capitol. Are you going over to the Capitol today? I've gonna, been there. What What are they? I'll probably go back. I met with Senator Coghill this morning. So, when you walk around the Capitol, what do people say? Oh my gosh, Governor. Well, I, there weren't many people. They were all in growling, and uh, I, I guess they were having a conflab about the dividend, which is a lot of that. A lot of that going on lately. Over there. I, I'm sure there's a lot that's of that the, going that's on. That's the big one. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, when you were you, you guys didn't really deal with. I mean, the dividend was just back then the formula, so nobody really talked to him. I mean, it was always kind of talked about, I guess, right, for maybe using some of the earnings. Well, uh, you know, we've had a d- dividend and it's varied, but uh, people got to understand that uh, a dividend is a consequence of accumulation of the permanent fund which is invested and you can't predict in advance the return on the investment. That's why it's so dangerous to try and say, well, we're going to pull X percent out before you get it because the market could collapse. And, uh, you know, your 64, 72 billion or whatever it is could be worth 50. Yeah, well, that was some of the questions, you know, because that happened in 08, 09, and, you know, the thing, the thing lost money, and they're talking about transferring this money to the corpus, and the question people have asked, well, what if, what if we have a bad year? What are we going to do? Well, you're going to be in big trouble if you have a bad year. There's a, the, that, that, that's, the, you know, the, the, let me tell you something. Other people say, well, we'll just tax. We're going to. There's no resident wealth in Alaska, and I know what I'm talking about. It's not like Oklahoma, where in the 40 acres, Grandpa struck oil, and the family made some money. Uh-huh. We don't have title to subsurface. I remember when we were, a few years ago when the, the methane gas was coming out of the Kenai, and everybody thought they'd be in big. They found out they didn't have subsurface ownership. The state had. That belongs to the state. Read your deeds. People got to wake up and recognize that. And uh, so when, 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 you, when you look at the prospects of, you know, development or resources or whatever, you got to be realistic. And uh, you got what you got in the state. But the point that I wanted to make when I said there's no resident wealth, the wealth is public wealth. It's your boroughs, okay? It's your state government. It's your federal government. They control Alaska. You might say, who owns Alaska? Well, Southeastern's owned by the feds, owned by the Forest Service. How many acres we got down here? 19 million. And uh, they own 17. 
state owns just a little bit. A, the natives fortunately own forty million. So it, we're different. No question that's about a, that's it. The history of our state, you know, it's always been. Yep. feds and other people have kind of run the show well governor i know you're going to be somewhere but i want to thank you for doing this well thanks i enjoyed the conversation you brought up some thoughts that i haven't thought about in baghdad and oh. breakfast that we never had and uh, uh another thing though i did do though somebody said what what do you what, what's the greatest thing you ever th reflect on doing i brought two children back from vietnam to their mother and the mother had been away from them for about three and a half, four years. She tried to escape through Cambodia with them. I was asked by the mother, who happened to be a resident of Fairbanks, because uh, I was going over there on the MIA POW issue, mm -hmm. uh, remains and so forth. She said, bring my children back. I said, what? She said, I've got two children, a little boy and a little girl. I said, ma'am, there's not a very unlikely chance that I can do that. But I tried. And there was a, a minister by the name of Tuck. And uh, I went to the legation in New York and met with him. And he said, uh, no, no, you can't do that. I said, well, would you try? Uh. So we went over, and I met with him again. And he said, where, you know, I said, the children. They said, well, they're in a village. Said, can, can you bring them over? And, no, no, we can't do it. Well, the last day I was there, I heard this rustle on the hall. And you this little girl and little boy. I don't know. They were probably six and eight and bedraggled, and they had the sister with them. And uh, he said, you take the children and go. And I said, go. And he said, yeah, you get in a, you get in a car and leave Vietnam. I said, okay. So I grabbed these kids, and the aunt was crying because they wouldn't let her go, grabbed the kids, and got in the car, and the guards started fooling around. I said, oh, this is the United States Center, and we got two children, and we're leaving right now. And I didn't mince words, got in the car, went out the airport. We had a United States Air Force airplane there, and went up, and uh, I had one of the little girl in my arms and a little boy dragging them. I wasn't sure we had the right kids. So we got in the airplane, oh, flew to Fairbanks. The mother came aboard. There were tears in everybody's eyes, and the uh, the kids hugged her, and one of those, the boy is in the United States Navy. The girl's married now, and we hear from them. And I was going to ask, do you keep in touch changed, with them? Changed yeah. their whole life. But we didn't have a passport. We didn't have a entry. We didn't have, and customs never bothered us. It was just, hey, this is just a done deal, and we were able to do it because we happened to have a United States senator. Not who the senator was. It was a status of sometimes you can do certain things and get away with it that are change people's lives. What, what year was that? Was that the, huh? When was that? Was it in the 80s or 90s or? Oh, that was. Uh, got a, uh, I think 84, 85 in that wow, area. Wow! So those yeah. kids, me, they're all growing up. Wow, that's a great, great story. No, it's true. Change well, their change of lives, right? And that's a that's the topic and the pictures I'm going to show the pioneers because they asked me. They want to know what I thought of something I accomplished that made a difference in people's lives. So I got some pictures. I got the picture of this these two bedraggled kids up at the top step of the airplane. I'll show it to what you. A, what a great story. Governor, I'd like to do this again Thanks. maybe next time you're in Anchorage or when we catch up again. Okay. I a lot of stories. Thanks so Thanks. much, Governor. Folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, get a hold of me. We'll talk to you next time. Let's